The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. All right, good morning, everyone. Would you please join me for the reading of God's Word? There are three um, passages that we're going to read today, so is it okay if people sit or would you? Okay, so, yeah. We got the permission to sit. And so um, the first passage is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. And if you're using the Blue Bible, this can be found on page 77. And I will read. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The second passage that we'll be reading from today is Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. If you're using the Blue Bible, this can be found on page... 1,226. And that passage reads, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the last passage today is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. And this can be found on page 1,246 in the Blue Bible. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall, fail excuse me, by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. We're still progressing through our series in Exodus, um, looking at uh, the God who saves, the God who speaks, the God who stays. This is firmly in the section of the God who speaks, though, I mean, there's crossover for all three because part of how we're saved is through his word and the fact that he gives us his word to keep is part of his staying with us but we're thinking about the God who speaks and we're in the Decalogue also known as the Ten Commandments you know rest is often a dirty word in our society rest can seem like a waste we tend to measure our significance by our productivity and so we pride ourselves in these war stories of how exhausted we are have you ever done that how demanding our work is, how there's no chance to stop. Because at some level, we really believe that successful people are those who can go the longest without resting. And we say things like, I'll rest when I'm retired. Or some people say, I'll rest when I'm dead. 
And so we look down on people who aren't like that. We look down on people who actually want to rest sometimes. And sometimes rightfully so because some of those people have a very unhealthy view of rest in a different way. They have a view of rest that's actually the lack of ambition or productivity or really of self-respect. You can think about people who just live for TV or video game binging or those whose hope extends only to the next party, those whose whole existence seems to be striving for the next weekend of vegging on their boat out on the lake. But the thing is, if rest is only that, if it's simply turning off to normal life, well, that's, that's not really admirable. It's not really accomplishing anything noble, is it? It's just passing time. Such rest is really just an escape. And rest can also be an escape, even when we have the money to dress it up as something more meaningful. Like, do we feel truly rested and renewed when we come back from our vacations? Or do we groan to think about the reality that we've just been able to ignore for a couple of weeks? Uh, but Monday is just around the corner again. And another problem, our culture's concept of rest often comes at the expense of other people. Is our idea of rest to be pampered and to be waited on? I remember a friend of mine who was so excited to be invited on this luxury resort vacation with the, the top mucky mucks of his company. And so they went to this resort in the Caribbean. And as much as he tried to relax, his conscience was just plagued each time he looked out the gates of the resort to see the ghetto filling the rest of the island. That was the reality for those who were getting paid so little to make this luxury resort possible. Now, that may be an extreme example, but the point is that often our idea of rest means that someone else is not resting, even if they are getting paid a fair wage for it. But what if rest didn't mean a trip to the TV room? or the bar, or the spa? What if rest was actually meant to be something entirely different, something that for the most part we've lost? A reality that leaves us and others better off, not simply distracted or used. And that's what we're gonna look at today in this longest of the 10 commandments. And it's probably the commandment that we're most likely to ignore, even though it gets after the very heart of what it means to belong to God. In these verses about Sabbath, we're going to see a command in verse 8. Then we'll see a method unpacked in verses 9 to 10 to follow that command. And then in verse 11, we see a reason that's undergirding the command. But we're actually going to go backward. We're going to tackle them backwards. So first we'll answer, what is the reason for the Sabbath from verse 11? And second, we'll think about how should a Sabbath be practiced? Um... And then third, what exactly is this command then for the people of Jesus Christ? My hope is that by walking through these verses, your life of worship and really your whole existence is going to feel renewed by a discovery or, or maybe a rediscovery of how God intends you to live by faith every day. So let's start with the reasoning for this Sabbath command. We read in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The word Sabbath or Shabbat, it comes from the Hebrew verb to rest or to cease. And verse 11 shows us that this isn't a new invention of the Mosaic law. Sabbath dates all the way back to creation. Isn't it amazing that pretty much every culture today acknowledges a seven-day week? Where did that come from? 
I mean, our years we get because the earth travels around the sun. Our months we get from lunar cycles. Our days we get from the rotation of the earth. But there's no explanation for the seven-day week apart from something that mankind was aware of from the very beginning. And when we think about Genesis, we know that the man and the woman were uniquely created in God's image, and they were built to do things that reflect the way that God does things. And this includes creative work, like God's. Now, we're not creating things out of nothing like he did, but we're rearranging, we're reshaping creation in good ways. That's what we do, six days of the week. But just as God modeled those six days of work, God also modeled something else. And if we truly want to image God in this world, we don't only work like him, we also rest like him. Now, obviously, God didn't need to rest the way we do. But he purposefully put this pattern in creation for us to follow. He set apart the seventh day, and he blessed it. That's no throwaway word. He blessed it. What is a blessed day? Well, it means he endowed the day with divine favor. Do we take that seriously? A great example of that divine favor, that blessing, is shown to us back in Exodus chapter 16. Pastor Victor preached on this passage. But I'll just read, starting uh, in verse 22 of Exodus 16. It says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. So, so the wilderness generation, they're given bread from heaven, manna, to collect, and that's how God sustained them in the wilderness. And it says that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. uh, And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. And did not stink and there were no worms in it because earlier they had tried to save their extra manna for the next day instead of going out the next day and for six days whenever they tried to do that it bred worms and it stank but when they collected double the amount on day six it didn't rot overnight and so Moses said eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord today you will not find it in the field six days you shall gather it but on the seventh day which is a Sabbath there will be none On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So a blessed day, a day of divine favor. That means that God's people will have all that they need if they will trust God and take their hand off of the plow or the tools or the computer or whatever it is. Isn't it amazing that even when God says, hey, you don't have to work today. I'll provide for you double on another day so that you can rest today. Even when he says that, the people still want to keep gathering for themselves. Instead of, trusting it in, instead of trusting in his provision. Leave it to rebellious humanity to take God's good gift and perceive it as an unwanted burden. But we're no different, right? Everything within us bucks against this command to rest. 
So we need to understand the reasoning that our God has built it into the very nature of his creation that if we trust him, if we rest in obedience, we can actually accomplish more in six days than we would on seven days of working. It's kind of like a weekly trust fall. Will you believe that God will catch you? Remember the lesson from the manna. If we will be obedient and rest, he will give us more than we need. If we refuse to rest, well then, our work will start to stink and rot. If we're to live within the design of God, we have to work and we have to rest within his established pattern for creation. And what does that look like exactly? Well, verses 9 and 10 gave ancient Israel a method. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So how is the Sabbath to be done? The instructions were fairly simple. Don't work. Don't make anyone else work. Don't even make your animals work. And it's all to be done in an orientation that is somehow to the Lord your God. Notice the focus on how your stopping to rest shouldn't be at the expense of your kids or workers or livestock. That could be one way of cheating. You just keep them working and then you say, well, you know, technically I'm taking a break, so I'm obeying. And all the while, this, your, your self-interest is still being promoted by others. No, that's not allowed. Also, we should note here in this command that it's just a fact that our own rest or lack of it is tied up with others. So it's a question worth asking. If you're a person who refuses to rest, who else is kept from resting because of that decision? Probably at some level, your family or your coworkers are affected. Well, we know that these rules for ancient Israel were very rigidly enforced. This wilderness generation was a time of types and shadows. And so to show the importance of this sign of Sabbath for the people of God forever, God told the people through Moses in chapters 31 and 35 that if anyone profanes the Sabbath, he should be put to death. That's how it was in the Old Covenant. And it's also spelled out that the work of starting a fire, that's prohibited. So you've got to keep your fires going from the night before. Um, you can imagine how this just impacted every aspect of life. They had to think through, like, wow, what's, am I obeying the command or not? Um, a thousand years later, uh, in Nehemiah's time, so later in the Old Testament, this meant that they were vigilant to close the gates of Jerusalem and to make sure that no trade could get in or out during the Sabbath. Well, fast forward 500 years from that, and the Pharisees, they had gone above and beyond Scripture, and they had established 39 different categories of prohibited activities with many, many details under each of those categories. Okay, so if there was this focus on prohibited activities, why don't we, as the people of God, function like that today? Why don't we function like traditional Jews why don't we prepare all of our food the day before our Sabbath begins? Why don't we uh, religiously fill our gas tanks on Saturday evenings to make sure that there's no chance we would have to fill up in the morning on the way to church? Have we just gotten lazy? Have we just ignored what we should be doing? And how, if, uh, if at all, does the coming of Jesus change the way we live out this commandment? Now, we know that Jesus was not anti-law. He came to fulfill the laws of God, not to spit on them. 
We also know that he, the way that he celebrated the Sabbath was in ways that challenged the paradigm of his day. So he recovered the heart of the law and he discarded the extra burdensome stipulations that the self-righteous leaders were imposing on everyone. And then we read the words of Jesus' apostle Paul earlier in Colossians. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. This is a little bit confusing. On the one hand, we know the facts from creation don't change. God intends for his creation to work best with certain regular rhythms in place, including rest. On the other hand, in Christ, the observance of a specific day is considered just a shadow that has been filled out differently by the substance of Christ. It's like, it's like training wheels have been removed so that we can ride freely. Okay, so where does that leave us? First, we have to affirm that Jesus did bring a substance into reality that the shadow of this fourth commandment doesn't totally reflect. And so we dare not just live in the Jewish reality. Okay? The reformer Martin Luther put it this way. He said, Yes, keep the Sabbath holy because of its usefulness both to body and to soul. But if anywhere the day is made holy for the sake of the day alone, if anywhere anyone sets up its observance upon a Jewish foundation, then I order you to work on that day, to ride on it, to dance on it, to feast on it, to do anything that shall reprove this encroachment on the Christian spirit and liberty. So he's getting after our Christian freedom there, just like uh, the Colossians passage did. We dare not live as if Jesus' coming hadn't changed anything about this law. Something has changed. But what we also must see is that a special day is still observed by the New Testament church. It's no longer called Sabbath, though. It's called the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. And it's no longer on Saturday, but it's Sunday. It's the day of the Lord's resurrection. We see in Acts and in 1 Corinthians that believers met regularly on the first day of the week. And uh, at the end of the first century AD, the church father Ignatius wrote, those then who lived by ancient practices arrived at a new hope. They ceased to keep the Sabbath and they lived by the Lord's day on which our life as well as theirs shone forth thanks to him and his death. So there is something like Sabbath, but it's been reconfigured, redefined. And to see just how, maybe we should look back at Jesus' interactions about the concept of Sabbath. Jesus never broke this fourth commandment or any of God's law, but he did seem to take pleasure in breaking the traditions of man, those, those oppressive boundaries that others had put around the law in order to uh, measure their own righteousness. So Jesus just kept poking at those. He allowed his disciples who were going about his work to pick heads of grain on the Sabbath as they're walking through a field and to eat them. And the Pharisees said, that's unlawful. And Jesus replied, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man, meaning himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus also drove a demon out of a man on the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. When the Pharisees rebuked him, Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
Jesus healed a paralytic man on the Sabbath and then told him to pick up the mat that he was lying on and to walk. So that was like a, a double or, or triple uh, infringement according to his enemies. Jesus healed a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. He healed a disabled woman on the Sabbath. And he said to those who were accusing him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so we start to see the substance emerging from the shadow. Jesus did use the Sabbath for worship. Again and again we see him in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a time for worship. Sabbath is also for humanity. It's for our good. It's a time for us to experience healing. And no, I don't mean healing like our culture would refer to self-care. I mean healing from God that comes from resting in him. And that has more to do with our mindset than it does with our specific activities. So we rest from our normal labors. We labor for the rest of others, just like Jesus did. So do you see the kingdom ethic that's emerging here? It's a dropping of our own interests once a week to force ourselves to truly entrust those interests to God, which should be the case every day of the week. And then that dropping of our own interests, it doesn't mean that we're indifferent to others on the Sabbath. It's not like, mm, leave me alone, this is my Sabbath. It's just me and God. No. No, it means we're even more driven to pursue God's agenda in the lives of those around us. And that brings us to the command itself. Verse 8, a command, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what do we make of this command after the sort of tour of the Bible we've had here? Isn't it interesting that the command isn't to keep a Sabbath day or to create a Sabbath day or to observe a Sabbath day? The precise word is remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Because it exists as a reality of blessing whether we take part in it or not. And specifically we're to remember it in such a way that keeps it holy. The force of the command is on keeping it holy. Uh, so just like the third commandment told us to hallow or, or to treat as holy the name of the Lord, so also this fourth commandment is teaching us to hallow or to make holy the day of the Lord. But what does it mean to treat something as holy? What does that accomplish exactly? And two things. Now, uh, we, we wouldn't use the word holy, um, though we, we do... We do set apart special days. Actually, we do use the word holy. We call them holidays. What's the root of that? Holy days. Holidays. And we have holidays that are linked to a specific person. For example, when we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, what are we doing by setting that day apart, by making it separate or other than other days? We're honoring the person to whom that day is linked. And we're honoring his cause, what he was all about. And similarly, when we set apart the Lord's Day, we're honoring the one to whom it's linked and we're treating as sacred his whole program for this world. So keeping the Sabbath holy honors God and his purposes as holy. But secondly, keeping the Sabbath holy implies that on this day, we are somehow uniquely sharing in holy things. We have that sobriety about us, uh, that awe 
we're being invited into God's holy sphere of rest. And this is where we need to bring in the vision of Sabbath that we saw in Hebrews chapter 3, which said, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is really interesting. This concept of Sabbath here isn't talking about a specific day. It's actually speaking about a present and a future reality that belongs to the people of God. We strive for it now, but, but how do we strive? Uh, chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 3, tells us, we who have believed enter that rest. So our resting on God's promises in faith now, that leads us into a realm of rest, the jubilee paradise that we were created to enjoy. So we're getting a little bit abstract here, but we're doing that because Scripture itself does. The concept of Sabbath is described really in three ways. First, temporal. I mean, we see that in Exodus 20. It's just, it's temporal. There's this day, there's this time, and you need to rest on it. Okay, that's, that's the bare command. But it's a sign of more to come. And then as we move further in the Bible, the concept of Sabbath we see is also spiritual. Like the term is used to describe our current ability to rest in God apart from any work of our own. That is a state of Sabbath, our salvation in the finished work of Christ. And then... The third way Sabbath is used is as eternal rest. Christ died to win for us a forever Sabbath, a reality better than Eden, one where life is rich and fulfilling and happens in the very presence of God. So this multi-use of Sabbath is one way to understand why we don't strictly rely on the old covenant sign of Sabbath anymore. It's because in Christ, every day is the Sabbath. Every day is resting from our works and living in his new creation reality where it is finished. And that very act of resting in our salvation, that's then a pointer to the day when God's new creation will finally be revealed, not only in our inner selves, but in perfect justice and in everything having been made new. As we rest on the promise of the rest to come, we are at rest even now. But does that just leave the temporal aspect of Sabbath out of it then? What does resting on God's promises look like? Many things, but one test of if we're resting in God could be, are we willing to rest from our work in a very practical way each week? Does that feel impossible or undesirable to us? If so, maybe that shows that we're trying to play God instead of trusting God. We don't really believe that he's going to provide that double measure of manna if we take our hand off of the computer or our phone or if we stop networking or planning. So, celebrating the Lord's Day is a renunciation of self-sufficiency and it's a radical weekly declaration of trust in God. And even though the exact form of the original command was ceremonial and it was fulfilled in Christ, the substance of the command, what it says about God, what it says about us, that's still true 
that's an unchanged reality. So if we want to live in line with God's created pattern, if we want to seize onto the blessing that God has promised in this concept of weekly rest, what should we do on the Sabbath? We've already been thinking about three categories attached to the Sabbath. First, we gather for worship. We gather for worship, just like ancient Israel did, just like Jesus did, just like the first Christians in every generation since has done. In the ancient synagogues, in the first century home churches, in the chapels and cathedrals and assemblies of every generation, we worship God together. We worship God through prayers. We worship God through song. We worship God through receiving the preached word. We worship God through the sacraments. We worship God through encouraging and exhorting one another and praying for one another. So, There is promised grace for you here in gathering together for worship. Why would you not want that? Why would you think you don't need that in person every week? If you're a parent, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your children is to establish a culture in the home that says, it's Sunday, we go to church unless we've got a fever or vomiting. And we don't go to church just because we feel like it. Because sometimes we're not going to feel like it. But we are not consumers who decide for ourselves if church is what we need today. We're people who have spent all week in a world that's under a curse, and we're soul sick from it. We need to gather. We need to remember the truer reality. We need to rejoice in our maker and our savior. And we need to be healed from wounds and deceptions and despair of all kinds. And just like any medicine, the way it makes you feel in the moment doesn't necessarily determine whether or not it did you any good. In the long run, meeting with God's people for worship does each of us far more good than we realize. But also remember, this is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's an offering of worship to him. It's not about you and how it makes you feel. You know, a major issue for Christians in our generation is what happens when kids' activities occur on Sundays. And I want to encourage all of you to prioritize weekly worship with your church family over your kids' activities, even if it means that they have to choose different activities. And I know that sounds insane in this culture that worships youth and worships individual achievement. And I know that a decision like that will cost your child maybe some opportunities. But I also think you'll be surprised at how it benefits your child in the long run and how it increases your own ability to speak truth to the culture around you, to your community, or to your extended family. My wife's older brother was crazy good at soccer. Um, He was trying out for the Olympics just before an injury ended his career. But growing up, my father-in-law told all the soccer coaches, if you have a practice or a game on a Sunday morning or um, something that requires travel or prep on a Sunday morning, my son is not going to be there. And that angered the coach, especially on a club team. And he took it out on Sarah's brother for a time. And Sarah's brother was angry too, and he griped to her dad um, for a good while. But after a time, they reached a new normal, and he still excelled at soccer, and he still got great opportunities. Now, I realize maybe that's a a best-case scenario, right? There will be situations where the child might be asked to leave the sports team or the dance company or whatever it is. But honestly, isn't that a price worth paying? 
Or do we worship a small God who just isn't worth our consistent devotion as much as a sport is? What we teach our kids now and model for our families is going to impact them far longer than they're even able to perform in that activity, even if they are a potential pro-level talent. And also, do we not think that God is able to bring about other opportunities if we make sacrifices for him out of love? Now, some people may say, well, okay, I see the importance of gathering for worship regularly, but unfortunately, I'm just not able to commit to that because I, I travel for work frequently. Okay, are you gathering for worship with the people of God when you're on a work trip or when your family is on vacation? If you need help finding a healthy church wherever you're at across the country, I'd be glad to, to help with that. Even if you're a complete stranger, just go and meet with the people of God because in the gospel, you have everything in common. So who knows how God is going to use that unique gathering on that exact day to feed you and to bless you in ways that you never would have expected. Or some of you may say, well, my work schedule means that I, I can't always make it to worship. Now, I don't know your specific situation, but one question you've got to settle first in your mind is, do you love God more than your job? And maybe some of you will want to pray for a new job. And if you've been looking and you've been praying for a new job and God isn't providing anything else for you, well, then maybe you need to honestly ask, is there a church that would allow me to regularly attend worship and be fully woven into the life of that body? And if so, as much as we would hate to see you go, maybe your unique circumstances require that you find a church that meets on Saturday nights or on Sunday nights. But the point is that gathering for worship regularly needs to be a priority for you. One more thing about our worship gatherings. Uh, do you prepare your heart for them? Do you look forward to them? Or do you pack as much as humanly possible into your week so that you just kind of come crashing exhausted into Sunday mornings? Our commitment to Sabbath rest should help create a mindset of trusting God throughout our week. And so it should kind of take some of the pressure out of the week by teaching us to trust God with what we can't do. But if Sabbath just makes you try harder to cram the rest of the week because you know you're not going to be able to work on this one day, well, then you're missing the point. And you're probably hurting those around you because you're not inviting them to trust God. He is in control. You don't have to be. And that's true every day. Okay, so we're gathering for worship together. That's a main purpose for Sabbath. Second purpose, Sabbath is a time to rest from our ordinary works for our own gain in order to make space for the contemplation of God. It's not a day to catch up on emails. It's not a day for jobs around the house. That's for your own gain. Do that on Saturday. And if you say, well, I, I simply don't have that margin where, for, for a day where I don't work at work and I don't work at home, well, might I suggest that you rethink your life a bit? Seriously, like there are a lot of people in our society who keep themselves so busy so that they don't have to wrestle with silence or stillness. And at some level, that could reflect a fear of being alone with God and actually dealing with certain things in your life. And that's exactly why you have to make time for it. Even if it means reducing your work schedule, even if it means turning off the TV on weeknights so that you can have a truly labor-free Sabbath. 
The goal is to make space for the contemplation of God. Now, maybe you say, well, what if I really delight in God when I bake for fun or garden for fun or do woodworking? Sure, have at it. We're not trying to make those sorts of rules here. We can contemplate God through any number of activities, but we do want to make sure we're pursuing that goal and not just the goal of fun and diversion or getting stuff done. So does the way you spend your Sabbath help you to think about God? Likely most TV shows and movies are not going to get you there. Sure, maybe occasionally there's like a, a beautiful or thought-provoking movie that you, know, you watch with your family and you're going to talk about what God is doing in history or in humanity or like an aspect of art that you know, is reflected in him. Or, or maybe it's like a nature show that like really directly showcases God's wonders. Okay, there's exceptions, but... I mean, I would really encourage you to be extra skeptical about using digital entertainment on your Sabbath. Just have a day each week when everyone can totally unplug and learn to not even miss it. Go out in nature. Go hiking. Go fishing. Go sit in a park and bird watch. If you go biking or running or some sort of exercise, make sure it's for the sheer enjoyment of it not as part of an ongoing discipline that's trying to improve yourself. Read a book that makes you thankful to God. Write down thoughts. Pray. And be still. Some of you are so practiced at making yourself busy that you can even busy your Sabbath with very good things, but ultimately not leave space to be still before God. So unbusy yourself. Once a week, put away your checklist, drop your hour-by-hour plans, just let yourself be surprised at how it plays out. And just delight in being with Christian family and friends. But a word here. uh, The Sabbath is not family day. Not exclusively. Use your Saturday for that. Sabbath is a time when our attention is focused in an intentional way on our Lord and on his purposes outward in this world. Uh, And that dovetails with a third use of the Sabbath. So first, to gather for worship. Second, to rest and focus on God. Third, to give relief to others. So as we've seen, the Sabbath was a day when Jesus focused on the freedom and healing of others. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we followed in his footsteps? What would it look like for you to invite neighbors or lesser-known people from church over for a meal? Or why not use your Sabbath to help a single mother have a break? Or to help an elderly person by trimming their bushes? Or to somehow serve those who are caught in poverty? See, the Sabbath shouldn't be a time where we put up walls and say, no, this is, this is me time, this is family time. It should be a, a day when we're open and uh, where we're giving other people a glimpse of what God's new creation is like. So with these three emphases to a Sabbath celebration, gathering for worship, resting to focus on God, intentionally doing good to others. In order to do those things, when exactly should your Sabbath be? Remember, the form doesn't matter, but the substance does. So using all of Sunday as the Lord's Day, just Sunday morning through Sunday night, that's been natural for most Christians throughout history because of um, the fact of the resurrection. It's, it's kind of exciting that Jesus rose from the dead, gets us excited each week to, to celebrate him. So... Uh, The fact that Sundays are natural for most Christians, that's why we choose to have prayer meetings on Sunday nights in hopes that it'll be a time when we're all still devoting a day to God-oriented rest. 
But other people are going to choose to set aside time for God-oriented rest on Saturdays. Some churches meet then, or, or some people see a, a need to set aside like noon on Saturday to noon on Sunday. And that way, they actually have enough physical rest to show up and be able to function on Sunday mornings. Maybe that's a good move for some of us who have just sort of defaulted into trying to milk the most fun out of late Saturday nights, not even thinking about how it sabotages us for Sunday mornings. Or other people find that a midday Saturday to midday Sunday Sabbath focus is just more realistic because they're so distracted Sunday nights about uh, preparing for work on Monday. So why fight that? Let's just set aside time earlier in the weekend where we can really be focused on God. Or in other contexts, even different days are used. Um, Christians in predominantly Muslim contexts, they frequently do their Sabbath on Fridays because everyone gets off work to go to mosque so they can be off too without losing their jobs. Uh, Or there's unique situations like mine, for example. I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. As pleasurable as this work is, it's, it's still my work. And so I have the weird hybrid Sabbath focus with part of it on Saturday and part on Monday. So there's freedom to the form. But the point is, are you obeying the substance of the Sabbath? And as with all of these commandments, remember, we obey because we have been brought to God. We don't obey in order to win God's favor. We already have that in Jesus Christ. And so knowing that you, in Christ, already have God's favor, will you keep a holy day of festive rest? Will you let it be a marker in your life that by faith you belong to the realm of rest and you belong to the Lord who has finished all the work that's necessary for the freedom and security of his people? I'm going to close with some words from Isaiah chapter 58. And this was written to the Old Covenant people of God, and a lot has changed in Jesus, as we've seen. But we also know that there's continuity, that God's pattern woven into the very fabric of creation still holds true. And we know that his promises to us are all yes in Jesus Christ. So hear this promise from the pen of Isaiah. He says, If you turn back your foot from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, Lord, we uh, take that promise seriously. And, God, I don't know exactly what it means that you will make us ride on the heights of the earth, but it sounds cool. So I ask, God, that we would would, um, take hold of that promise, that we would let you open up new avenues of peace and hope and joy in our lives as we obediently rest and make time to honor you as God. Lord, do this work in each of our lives, I pray, for your glory. Amen.